Welcome to America's Heroes Group podcast with information and resources that's disseminated intentionally to empower our military population with host Vietnam veteran Cliff Kelly, co-host Iraq veteran Colonel Dr. Damon Arnold, and co-host Army National Guard veteran Sean Claiborne. And now, America's Heroes Group podcast. America's Heroes Group. This time we have a powerful roundtable community outreach section today, Saturday, December 17, 2022, December's AIDS Awareness and National Human Rights Month. Our host is Cliff Kelly. I'm Sean Clement, the co-host. Our executive producer is Glenda Smith of digital media producers Ivan Ortega of Scouts Honor Productions. And we have a new panelist with us today, Richard Brookshire. He's a co-founder of the Black Veterans Project, a nonpartisan 501c3 Nonprofit elevating black public education around the unique history of black veterans in the United States. And also a brief background on Richard Brookshire. He was the Director of Communications for Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America and the Deputy Director for Communications, Politics at the Human Rights Campaign. He is an alumnus of Morehouse College and Fordham University and holds a Master's of Public Administration in, in Urban and Social Policy from Columbia University School of International Public Affairs. He served as an Army Infantry Combat Medic in the wars in Afghanistan. And he has been highlighted in the New York Times, Washington Post, USA Today, The Grill, and other publications. Welcome to the broadcast. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing good. I'm happy to be here. Great. Great to have you. So tell us about Black Veterans Project. What's the mission purpose? What's the agenda of, of what you're trying to accomplish? And kind of break it down yeah. so people can understand there's a lot of stuff going on with this. And it goes into a lot of yeah, I mean, so when we, yeah, for sure. When we started about four years ago, um, there was a dearth of real digital storytelling around the unique historical barriers that black veterans had faced around racial discrimination, um, around the history of bad paper discharges. Um, and, and there wasn't a lot of reporting about the state of race uh, in the military now. And so what we've tried to do is elevate that conversation, working um, in tandem with a lot of researchers. Our main um, partnership has been with Yale Law School. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot. We have done a lot in four years. Um, but at the heart, the heartbeat of the project, it's, it's research-oriented, and it's about activating that research to advance policies. Was, you know, and, and at the heartbeat of the project is really kind of redress-oriented, reparations-oriented, right? Like, how can we potentially kind of aggregate all this research, see if we can get some new data points, and then try to drive home up a policy agenda um, and some kind of litigation that might, you know, create a pathway or mechanism for black vets who've been racially discriminated against by the VA to get some level of of real redress. Um, Because we know the historical record, right? Like, I think in the black veteran community, it's it's widely known, it's almost commonplace that we know that just racial discrimination is a fact of, of our existence um but there hasn't there hadn't been you know a real robust effort in recent years to try to figure out how to bring all that together um and, and really le- leverage digital tools and really the internet as an organ or as an organizing tool to try to bring some pressure to bear and see if we can actually get some redress done um so that's that's been at the heartbeat of the work so bring, take us on into some more details about some of that um some of the discrimination and also the history of in the treatment of african-americans and even Native Americans as well, and people of brown and, and yeah. black skin color. Um, so we have something coming up, the GI Bill Restoration Act. So using that as, yeah. as a starting point, kind of take us back into the history and some of the the inequities and some of the uh, disparities of how uh, people of color have been treated yeah. in the military versus what the mainstream population was able to receive from the benefits of being, of being in uniform. 
Yeah. So, you know, taking a look at the, the GI Bill Restoration Act, this kind of landmark legislation that was introduced, it has not been passed. Um, earlier in the 117th Congress, so about two, about a year and a half ago now, um, by Senator Warnock, Congressman Clyburn, and Congressman Moulton. And uh, what they were trying to do is, 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 is basically send out a message that there needs to be something done about the fact that black veterans were largely locked out of the GI Bill, um, especially at the advent of, uh, 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 of, of its inception after World War II. So kind of circling back, the original GI Bill uh, became law in 1944. Um, it was a landmark kind of social policy that, for the first time, really afforded working-class men who served in the military and women um, access to zero VA-backed home loans and education benefits. But because of a national kind of network of, of Jim Crow laws, and it didn't just exist in the South, it very much existed and was codified in different ways in the North through redlining, racial covenants, and, 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 uh, and racially discriminatory practices, and collegiate admissions, um, black vets were largely locked out of it. So uh, the, the statistics vary. It, it's been actually really difficult to pin down exactly how many black vets actually got access to it. But we know that they were diminutive based off of, uh, of studies like Mississippi, where um, I think um, over the course of, uh, uh, of 1945 to 1956, less than 5% of black veterans who lived in Mississippi were able to access their 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 GI Bill or, or states like New York, right? Like when you had you know years would, would go by and, and 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 one or two or three black veterans would be able to secure a home loan, um, and then you know for the most part black vets weren't able to really utilize their education benefits. I think a lot of people assume that oh well black vets just went to HBCUs, but HBCUs looked a lot different in the past, right? They were smaller and they couldn't absorb the million or more black uh, troops that actually were returning, um, and so you know small numbers of black uh, vets actually ended up going to HBCUs, um, and, and that, that really created the seeds of an economic chasm that we still see today. You know, there, uh, there was a recent study by Brandeis University that showed that for every black veteran that uh, in World War II that didn't get access to their benefit, their family is owed about $180,000. Um, and benefits that white families got full access to. And it created the modern American middle class. And a lot of people don't really understand or, or don't really kind of compute that history. And a, a lot of our project is to try to lay that fundamental understanding down for folks. And then kind of, you know, going forward as you look into Vietnam and the Gulf War and even today, you know, bad paper discharges have been like a huge mechanism that has locked countless black vets out of tens of billions of dollars uh, of, of economic welfare that they would have been otherwise afforded um, had they had full access to the, the myriad of benefits that you can get um, as a veteran. Um, and so there's a need to like reckon with that history in a real way and then to bring new research to bear. So we were able to help support a recent study that showed even over the last five years, it was a study by the Connecticut Veterans Legal Center, and it showed that from 2015 to 2020, Black service members even today are 1.5 to 2.3, depending on the branch of service, but almost twice as likely to get out of the military and not have access to their benefits. So the history is still continuing, uh, and there's a real need to, to address it. So what do you think is the problem today as far as African-Americans and, and people of color accessing the benefits? Is it the, is it the um, well, I had a conversation. This is interesting because I had a conversation about this um, twice, actually. We did it once in a show last week. We had uh, Stephanie Collada, mm. who's uh, who founded the Veter Veterans Legislative Voice, and we talked about this mm. as well. We talked about the GI Bill Restoration Act and Senator Warnock's uh, participation in it, and we also talked about the history uh, of the fact that you know people that came back from World War II, everybody is assumed in our in our own minds in history, we think, oh, well, you're a veteran, 
people don't realize that, that blacks and whites served in segregated units in World War II. Mm-hmm. That originally, mm-hmm. in the military, African Americans weren't even allowed to really take on all the jobs that were offered to everybody else in, in the military. So African Americans had to be uh, servants, laborers, cooks, you know, guys to clean everything mm-hmm. up on the ship or whatever. If you're in the navy or pick or doing all the labor work in the battlefield and you know, in, the, in yeah. World War II, and coming home and watching. Um, uh, uh, people that were prisoners of war, people that they were fighting against, getting better treatment than they were getting. People yeah. coming home on on, uh, on on transportation are being flown home by the military back to their communities, and they're watching, you know, former Nazis <laughs> fly first class, and they're in, you know, the back of the, the back of the, the plane. If they get on the plane, they probably stick up on the back of the bus. You know, what I'm saying that. I mean, that yeah. seeing that reality. And then being told, okay, well, you got the GI Bill, but nobody's taking your GI Bill. Nobody's going to allow you to use a mm-hmm. GI Bill. Mm-hmm. And then you touched on that really important point of the fact that, so, yeah, so imagine what the world would look like, what this country would look like if over a million people who served in, in World War II, if they were able to participate in the GI Bill, if they came back and brought those dollars you mentioned to black colleges. Yeah. Because there was segregation mm-hmm. still, you know, in 1945, there was still plenty of segregation going around. So a lot of them would have, wouldn't have been able to go to, you know, traditional mainstream universities. We call them, some people call them white universities. I always call them mainstream universities because really they're re- very diverse when you look at the real population. It's huge Asian communities mm-hmm. and, and major universities, of course, you know. And it's no surprise if you've been to, a, you know, any major university, you'll see a large Asian community as well. But when you go and look mm-hmm. at what African Americans were afforded to participate in at that time, and even you know, from decades later, all that money would have flowed into these HDBUs, historically black colleges, and they would have built up these mm-hmm. universities, and they would be different institutions today if they had those millions and millions of yeah. dollars invested in those institutions, and then creating mm-hmm. a whole another generation of thought leaders that would have came from the military. We just talked about this with the University of Chicago. We've had a per, Dr. Pearl Odom, who's talked about this, had, had this same conversation of things we're doing today with, you know, SkillBridge, which is a program that takes mm-hmm. service members and training them to transition and to do things, great things, and to p- contribute and build up communities around the country. So you're mm-hmm. taking that away from African Americans and the history of the development of this country and our neighborhoods. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you surmised it well, right? And like, I think that it's it, there's been different levers that have kind of been pulled at different times in history to lock black vets out of these like quintessential veterans benefits that you you know that you get if you you know you, you serve, which are you know, education, housing, healthcare, and that's really where we made uh, some strides, right? Like really trying to get more data around health. Uh, uh, disability compensation disparities. So for two years, at the beginning of the project, we, we partnered with Yale and we said, hey, we want to get our hands on data. We know that data is really the starting point for any kind of legislative redress and any kind of litigation that we might, you know, try to be, you know, try to try our hand at. Um, and so we did a, a quite large, one of the largest uh, data, uh, data pools um, around ra- racial, uh, racial disparities in VA's history, looking at 20 years of, of, of data um, relating to disability compensation. And we were able to show that for two decades, from 2002, basically the present day, um, there has been statistically significant differences in the rate of denials that black vets have faced uh, for disability compensation. And one of the most alarming ones that we were able to show that was between, but basically um, from 2015 to more recent data showed that black veterans were almost 30% 
uh, more, li- more likely to get denied for PTSD compensation. And so when you inter- intersect that and the fact that we, you know, we're twice as likely to be as, as homeless, face higher joblessness rates, and, and you know, re- often in return to resource-poor communities and, and, and aren't well-educated about accessing our benefits in general, like, you know, it, 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 I think the final piece of the puzzle to, 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 to really paint a very clear historical narrative, right? And so we took that data. And we basically said, hey, from what, you know, what the VA said in court over the course of, of a year and a half of litigating the, the FOIA request was that they didn't even study racial disparities uh, for 20 years. So they knew that they were coming out of a long legacy of racial discrimination affecting veterans' access. And for 20 years, the VA didn't even study the issue. And so we're basically using that along with the statistically significant difference in, in disability compensation, along with the, all the other history we talked about, right, the obstruction around GI Bill. Um, the, the, the proliferation of bad paper discharges that we've tried to, to use one case to paint a very specific argument. So let me walk y'all through that case. So there's a gentleman by the name of Conley Monk. And as I, as I continue to talk with y'all, y'all I'm going to try to bring him on the show and have a conversation so your audience can get to know him. Conley was a Vietnam War veteran. I think the, and I like to start his story by the fact that his father was a World War II veteran who came back served honorably and never accessed the GI Bill. Um, so Conley comes in, you know, a generation later, growing up in New Haven, joins to, to go fight uh, as a Marine in Vietnam, serves honorably, but he, but uh, after his first tour gets into a, an altercation with a superior who calls him a racial epithet. They get into a physical altercation, and I know a lot of Vietnam vets can relate to that, mm-hmm. and they ended up, uh, he ended up getting kicked out, and he had a dishonorable discharge. But he never, he didn't know how dishonorable discharge would affect him. He was working for the VA before he even, he was, you know, uh, working, uh, at the VA before he had even joined the Marines. So when he got back to his community in New Haven, they wouldn't even give him his job back. And he struggled for over 40 years to get access to his benefits. And in, despite that, and despite, you know, dealing with, you know, all untold, you know, undiagnosed and untreated PTSD, um, he, he had to put himself through school. He wasn't able to buy a home, you know, for his family with this GI Bill, um, and, and, and really, really struggled. Um, but he started working with Yale in the early 90s, and he was also, you know, big in the community and really trying to support and try to help other vets get access to their benefits, all while he didn't have access to his. And he um, started working with Yale in the early 90s. In 2015, he finally won a case, and it was a landmark case. And it was a landmark case because it, it, it essentially, for the first time, gave people who had been diagnosed with PTSD or a traumatic brain injury who did not have access to their veterans' benefits because they didn't have an honorable discharge, because of Connolly's win in 2015, they could now apply and would likely get access to their benefits if they'd been diagnosed with PTSD. And him, he was able to win a three-year settlement, basically going three years of back pay for the money uh, that the VA owed him, which was about $150,000. And because of that, he was able to buy a really beautiful home for his family that I was able to go and visit earlier this year. Um, But he's suing because uh, not only because he didn't know that the VA was discriminating against him, and our data basically proves that that they understood and they knew that there was an issue and did nothing to address it, they're by, by default being grossly negligent and wanting to uh, actually address why racial disparities were so rampant. And he's basically suing for all the back pay and the damages done to him because he should have had access to his benefits since 1971. He should have had, have at, he should have had access to disability compensation for 100% PTSD, which he does now have. He should have had access to zero via back home loan. He should have had access to education benefits. He didn't have access to that. So he's suing for a million dollars in damages. And then he's also suing on behalf of his, his deceased father 
because it's intergenerational for so many for so many vets uh, for so many black vets um, and, and minority vets. So this applies to Latino and, and, and Native American vets as well. But my focus has been on black vets. And, um, you know, his, his father didn't get access to to the GI Bill and he's suing on behalf of that. And at the end of the day, it's, it's really a it's, it's never really been done for Like this lawsuit is 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 historic in in many ways, because not only are we bringing new data to the table to actually file the suit, but, we're, you know, we're suing it under the FTCA, saying that the, the VA has been grossly negligent. And we don't know what's going to happen. Right. We're hoping that it, at the very least, you know, VA comes to the table and actually admits the wrongs that it's that it's done to black vets and wants to move forward with some kind of recompense. Right. Because you can't talk about equity and inclusion and all these other types of things and not really reckon with the damage that you've done to the black community. And we're talking about tens of billions of dollars siphoned out of the black community because black vets weren't getting full act, full and equal access to their benefits. So, yeah. And, I, and I, I, my bones, I feel that the, that the military will make the right decision at some point. I think, as, I think yeah. we're getting a lot more wiser, although there is still a lot of conservative voices out there, ultra-conservative voices out there that, you know, lump everything into woke consciousness and, and, and all kinds yeah. of weird stuff, whatever like that. The really woke consciousness isn't it's just a reinvented hip hop version of black consciousness that came out of the sixties and seventies and been around forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. but you know, but mm-hmm. gets, well, all this stuff gets distorted in media and gets distorted and yeah. you know, at least in the in the arguments pro and con and, and by part and uh, partisan, uh, partisanship and things like that, people joining sticking with their team of whether they're liberal or conservative, whatever, put all that stuff to the side and let's look at what's right and what's mm-hmm. wrong. Looking at the yeah, data, looking at the information, getting the information, the data is so critical. I'm so I'm so proud of what you guys are doing because of the fact that you are data focused as opposed to yeah. saying, well, this is what we think it ought to be because this is what we think it ought to be. Yeah. No, just looking at what is the facts. What are the facts? Let's look at the facts. Exactly. Absolutely. And what is Yeah, and focused? we want to reckon with that. We want to reckon with the history, and we want we want transparency, right? So some of the things that we might you know be able to come out of the lawsuit, and Senator Blumenthal uh, was able to he sits on both the House Armed Services and the House Veteran Affairs Committees, the Senate Senate Veteran Affairs Committee, um, and, uh, and the Senate uh, Armed Services uh, policies. But he he was at the press conference for Connolly's suit, and he said that it was you know indeed a very historic because. He is, is very hopeful that this will actually inspire some type of hearing where we actually get to discuss and VA has to come to the table with what it knows and how long it's known it and, 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 and all of the facts, right? Because I think that that's what the historical record owes. But I also, and I said that I got the opportunity and I want before, uh, you know, we wrap our conversation today, I wanted the opportunity to talk about the bill, this, uh, this, uh, especially an iteration of the GI Bill Restoration Act. Um, we had a conversation about it. Uh, I, got, I got the opportunity to testify that, um, on the last hearing of the House Foreign Affairs Committee uh, this past um, was it this past week, actually. And, um, and and I'll talk about that in a moment. But um, I lost what my train of thought. So much. There's so much information to talk about. The GI Bill Restoration Act. So Senator Warnock was was working with that, and then now he's back in office. Yeah. He, got, he got reelected. Yeah. And so where are the details yeah. of this, and then what will it do to help? Veterans? So. So let's, let's, let's start with the fact that we're in a really, I mean, not want to say odd because we've always faced a lot of challenges as black folk in this country, but we're at an odd time in our, in our, our country's politics, specifically with the Supreme Court, right? With they're really on the verge of potentially knocking down affirmative action and all these types of things, right? So trying to pass some kind of targeted redress bill is actually really hard, right? Not impossible. But difficult, and you have to you have to build the political will for it. And one of the things that uh, you know, and I, I'll get I'll get I'll give some some pats on the back to to myself and my team is we've been able to really leverage the media and and, and get this conversation you know exposure in the media that then 
kind of forces, in some respects, congressional leaders to respond, right, and in kind. And because there wasn't really any movement on the Diablo Restoration Act. I mean, as soon as it got, you know, to Congress, it's kind of almost, almost dead in the water. And, and not because it wasn't good policy, but because of the fact that we have this, this landscape that we're having to contend with, which is we might p- pass some targeted-based racial redress for black vets that then gets knocked down by the Supreme Court, and then, you know, nothing ends up, you know, passing. Um, that, and then the, 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 the size of the bill, like it's, you know, gone every, anywhere between 30 to $80 billion to potentially give all the direct descendants of black World War II veterans access to zero via back home loans and education benefits. So I personally think it should be done. We gave $70 billion to Ukraine in a year. It's not something that our, that our, that our country can't afford. It's just a choice, right, that we're making. But I'll, I'll remind this back. So, you know, there was a, a, a someone by the name of Marsha Spotzer who wrote this really brilliant piece of, of potential legislation. It's only in draft form right now, and that's what we were discussing at the most, hearing, the most recent hearing of the House Veteran Affairs Committee. And this bill is important because it would look to give the descendants of, of, of World War II, um, uh, Korean War, and Vietnam veterans, no matter what color they were, if they didn't use their benefit, then they can pass it down to their descendants. That's what the bill is basically saying. And now there's some stipulations, and it's, it's explicitly looking at the VA home loan, right? Mm-hmm. Which is important because you think about the, the building of generational wealth, the ability to be able to buy a home without any money down is really actually important right. because trying to put money down on a home is the biggest barrier for most people to buy a house mm-hmm. right now, right? Exactly right. Um, but, but long story short, this bill is essentially facially neutral, which basically means it's not race specific. It just so happens that the majority of people that would benefit from this bill happen to be the black descendants because they were they were the ones that the, the, their, their forefathers weren't able to actually use the benefit. So they would be able to pass it down. Now, they want to put some stipulations on it, like they want to make it so that only first time home buyers could potentially use it in, in, in order to kind of whittle down the number. But at this particular point, the way that the bill is written, it, about, about somewhere between one point five to two million descendants would tentatively have access to the zero VA back home loan. Listen, redress is complicated. Reparations is a complicated project, right? Like, it's easy to talk about in, in, in broad strokes, but when you get down to the nitty-gritty and trying to make re- redress policy, you come up against some real challenges. But this bill is, is a starting point, right? Um, it's trying to think about oh, how can we actually get something passed in Congress that would redress this really significant racial harm, right? This really significant that that has impacted and continues to impact uh, families, really. Because when you talk about black veterans, you're talking about their families, right? What who didn't who weren't able to buy a home, or if they did, they struggled to, right? Because they didn't have access to this this really crucial benefit. Um, so I'm, I'm optimistic about the bill. There, there seems to be a desire to want to move forward with it in, in the 118th Congress, but you know we're going to have a Republican House, so we might have to wait another two years, right? So there's still a lot of groundwork that needs to happen. And where we're really wanting to focus our attention as a project, really, is beginning to storytell, right? Like, we've been able to really leverage research, but now it's about, like, there are millions of stories out there, mm-hmm. and we need to kind of bring them to a space and, and, and make it digestible to the public so we can build the political case to make this happen and other types of redress because we're really scratching the surface of what redress can actually look like right now, right, when, relative to, to, to veterans not being able to get access to their benefits. And the last thing, and, and we haven't, there hasn't actually been any kind of legislative movement, but a lot of legislators have kind of hinted at wanting to address the proliferation of back paper discharges and wanting to figure out some kind of mechanism that can make it easier for black vets who've been historically locked out of their benefits to get access to their benefits, right? Um, and potentially see how they, you know, the, the, their descendants might be able to benefit as well. So um, that is something I'm really 
hopeful about. Um, but, you know, continue to have conversations and bring brilliant other minds to the table because I'm sure these are not new ideas, right? I think Black Vets have been wanting to see things like this happen for a very long time. But the, 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 the thing that's allowing us to be able to be effective is we have data, data that we've never had before, right? Um, and we have the Internet. <laughs> so we're able to – we're really able to, to, to leverage uh, relationships with the press and, and build momentum in that way. So that's where we're at. I appreciate your time, Richard Brookshire. That is really important information. You're the co-founder of Black Veterans Project, a nonpartisan 501c3 nonprofit elevating public education around the unique history of black veterans in the United States. And last time I checked – there's no statute limit of limitations on debt. You might be able to get it off mm. the credit with a few tricks. Mm. A debt owed is a debt owed. Mm. Mm. We love to see it. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Our pleasure. Thank you for listening to America's Heroes Group Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss an episode. And for more details, visit americashg.org.